Thank you so much, Mark. And again, congratulations. And uh, I, I said earlier that Mark had a baby, but um, it was Jenna. <laughs> and I don't want him to get all the credit for that. So we're continuing on in our series on Ruth, and uh, I just ran to my office for a moment because I wanted to bring something up to show you a little later. But um, I'd like us to take a moment to pray for another couple that had a baby. They're going through a bit of a struggle, so let's pray for a moment. Father, we want to lift up to you uh, Jeff and Crystal and little Nora, the uh, children of Brian and Elaine, who have just gone through a bit of a difficult week. We pray, God, that they would uh, sense and know your presence this very moment. We pray, God, that um, you would strengthen both mom and dad and little baby Nora. And, God, we pray that uh, they would sense at this very moment your presence and your power at work. We pray that in Christ's name. And everyone said it with me? Amen. So thanks again, Mark, for covering for me. So we're continuing in Ruth, and just uh, by way of reminder to what has gone on over the past few weeks, by the way, next week is our last in the series on Ruth, but Naomi, her husband Elimelech, and uh, possibly her sons, her sons may have been born in Bethlehem, may have been born in Moab, but their sons, Malon and Kilian, they left Bethlehem because of the, of the famine in the land. They thought, well, we're going to leave the land of our fathers, the land of our God, and we're going to go to a foreign land, a land whose God was Chemosh. And they thought there they would be able to get their needs met. And while they were there, Naomi's husband Elimelech dies, and her sons die as well. And the Bible says that when she went away, she went away full. But when she came back to Bethlehem with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, she said she came back empty. She went away called Naomi, which means pleasant. And she said on her return, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, which means bitterness. Life has been very, very difficult for her. She returns. And uh, what she didn't know is that God had a plan for her. And she learned what it meant, she and Ruth learned what it meant to wait on God. We heard that message last week. What does it mean to wait on God? It means that you just patiently wait for him to do his thing in your life, and that his promises will come true, but you have to trust him. Well, we come to a place now where God has, has honored her waiting, and she marries a man by the name of Boaz, who the Bible calls a kinsman redeemer. And if you've been through your small group notes already, you know that a kinsman redeemer was somebody that, somebody from the family, a close, the closest family member to you, could come along and redeem you out of your tragedy, your difficulty. And what that redeemer does is he simply comes along, he buys the land that belonged to you, your inheritance, he buys it and he returns it to you. In the case of Ruth and Naomi, the Bible says that Boaz buys Naomi's land and marries Ruth. 
And through Boaz, Naomi and Ruth are redeemed from their tragedy, from their loss, from their brokenness, from their poverty. And folks, what we're going to learn today is that this is exactly what happens when you and I become Christians. Jesus Christ redeems us. Jesus Christ redeems us from our poverty, from our sorrow, from our suffering, from our, from our shame, from our guilt, from our past life. And he gives us a brand new life. Now, that word redeem simply means to gain or regain possession of something in exchange for payment. And that's exactly what Boaz does. He, he is able to uh, bring into possession once again the inheritance that belonged to Naomi's husband, Elimelech. And folks, I'd like you, if you've got your Bibles, to turn to the book of Ruth. And we're looking at Ruth chapter 4, verses 9 to 15. And uh, here's, here's what it says. It says, Then Boaz said to the elders and the crowd standing around, You are the witnesses that today I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Malon. And with this land, I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Malon, to be my wife. This way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in its hometown. You are all witnesses today. Then the elders and the people standing at the gate replied, We are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, from whom all the nations of Israel descend. May you prosper in Ephrath and be famous in Bethlehem. And may the Lord give you descendants by this young woman who will be like those of our ancestors, Perez, the son of Tamar and Judah. So the kinsman redeemer... Boaz, uh, is the family member who has the power to restore to Naomi and Ruth what they have lost. Boaz purchases Naomi's land and takes Ruth to be his wife. This story then, folks, is a reflection of what Jesus Christ does for you and me. What Satan has stolen from your life, the destruction and the sorrow and the pain and all the things that, you know, the, the guilt and the shame, the things that you've messed up in in life, all the, all the things that stay, Satan has stolen from you, Jesus restores to you. He gives you back your life. He gives you back dignity. He gives you back your purpose. He gives you back the peace and the joy that Satan has stolen from you. He puts a smile back on your face. Folks, that's what Christianity is all about. And we see it so beautifully reflected in the life of Naomi and Ruth. Whereas Boaz was Ruth, Ruth's and Naomi's redeemer, Jesus Christ is our redeemer. So today what I want to do is I want to talk about embracing this new life that's been given to us by our redeemer. Because here's what I know. After 30 years as a pastor and after all these years in the ministry, is that I've seen many people who say, yeah, you know what, I love the idea of Christianity, I want to follow God, I want to be a Christian, I want, I want this life, I, I, I kind of like the family here, the, the family that's called Cross Church, I, I like it. And I like what you're talking about, Pastor Alan, I like, a, I like the new life that you're talking about, I, I like the idea that I could have that life. But the problem is, with so many of us, is that we're not really prepared to make the changes, we're not really prepared for the new life that our Redeemer gives us. And so to help me illustrate this, I want us to look at Ruth's life. 
Ruth has left Moab, her homeland. She's left uh, its customs, its laws. She's left behind the different gods that are there. And she's come to a whole new land, getting a brand new husband, and she's got to make the changes. When I married Gloria, I think, I think I'd been in Greece for a year, I'd come home for maybe two or three weeks, and then I said, uh, and, then, and then, you know, Gloria and I got married. We went on our, our honeymoon, and then we went right to Greece. So I hadn't seen Gloria for almost a year. I come home for three weeks, I marry her. We go on a, on a brief honeymoon, and then I take her away from her parents, from Winnipeg, well, that's not difficult, from Winnipeg, and I bring her to Greece. And now she's living with somebody that she's never lived with before. Now she's living in a, in a land that she's never lived in before. I was there for a year, so I, I know what Greece was like. So suddenly, Gloria is facing these, this huge, what we call culture shock. She's living in a new land with a husband, and I'm going to tell you, if you've never lived cross-culturally, you don't really appreciate how significant this is. If you've come from another land, you've come to live in Winnipeg, you know how difficult it is to make that kind of a change, because suddenly there's people speaking a different language, they've got new customs, new ways of doing things. I remember when Jesse was born in Greece, the custom is that you, when, the, when a baby is born, you don't take that baby out for 40 days. And there we were in, in one week's time, rolling down the street with Jesse. And, and I'll tell you, the, the, the older Greek women were really quite disturbed that we would take Jesse out of the house within those first 40 days. And what a shock it was when, when, when one of the ladies who looked in the, in the carriage and saw Jesse started to spit. You heard me right. <laughs> One look at my son and it caused everybody to spit. Well, it's quite shocking and, and quite disturbing and, and rather insulting until you discover that it's their custom. They spit so, that, so as to confuse the devil. And the devil won't then bring a curse or do something bad to your child. So even as they're saying how lovely he is, they're spitting and you don't know what that means. Interesting, isn't it? So here's poor Ruth. She's been redeemed from her old sad life of losses and emptiness to a brand new life under the guidance of a loving God. I want us to look at those verses in uh, Ruth 4, Ruth chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. It says, So Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife. And when he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous. So Naomi's world is truly foreign to Ruth. Naomi is asking Ruth, Ruth, you need to make a change. You, you need to become a whole new woman. You've got to become a different person. Remember, it was Ruth when, she, when Naomi was heading back to her, to her land, to Bethlehem, it was Ruth who said, well, you know, your people are going to become my people and your God's going to become my God. But now she's faced with it. And it's, it's one thing to be idealistic about an idea, but it's quite another thing to actually go and do it. And again, I see this all the time. 
People love the idea. Yeah, I'm going to be a Christian. I remember one time we had a baptismal service and somebody asked who, who hadn't been on the roster and who hadn't been prepped and hadn't gone through the class, but they were so overwhelmed and so excited about the baptismal service that she asked if she could be baptized too. It was, I don't know if some of you might have remembered that. But I thought, okay, well, you know, somehow the, the testimony of, of, of the, those being baptized, it really affected them. So I said, sure, you can be baptized. And so there, there was somebody that we had not even prepared to baptize, that is, she hadn't gone through the class, didn't, didn't know her at all. She got down in the t- into the tank, and she was baptized because she, she wanted to adopt that new life. But the problem was is that she wasn't ready to change. She wasn't really ready to embrace the new life that God had invited her to embrace. And that is the problem, folks, with so much of Christianity in North America and with so many of us. We see a life that's been handed down to us by our ancestors. We see a life that we've been born into, into our culture, into our society. But folks, when you become a Christian, you're called to a brand new life. When you follow the Redeemer, when you allow the Redeemer to purchase you and to restore to you the things that Satan has stolen, to give you new life, it means a brand new life, a brand new life that you're called to embrace. So what is she leaving behind? Well, Ruth is, uh, she's a Moabite, and in case you don't know it, this, is, this, might, this will gross you out. The people of Moab um, are the offspring of a man by the name of Moab. Moab's parents were none other than Lot. Does everybody remember Lot, the nephew of Abraham? Lot, and here's where it gets gross. It was Lot and Lot's eldest daughter. Gross, incest. Okay, so here's Lot's eldest daughter thinking, I can't find a man, I'll get my father drunk and we'll have children together. That's, that's literally what happened. You can read about it in Genesis, Genesis 19. They produce a son by the name of Moab. Well, you can imagine, if that's the beginning, where this is going to go. So Ruth is from a truly pagan country, a truly pagan people. And uh, Moab is a country that was constantly at war with Israel. There's constantly skirmishes, and there's constantly conflict between these two nations. So again, remember, Ruth now was leaving behind her country that has traditionally been at war with Israel. The Moabites, by the way, were called the people of Chemosh, just as, as Israel were, was called the, the children of God or the children of Jehovah. And in case you don't know about Chemosh, it's a religion that often requires human sacrifices. And that's what they did to their God. They sacrificed human beings. Now, this is the world that Ruth comes from. And she's coming to a new land, a new world, and she's being invited to leave behind her old life and to embrace her new. Now, some of you might say, well, her old life sounded horrendous. I mean, her old world sounded terrible. But folks, remember this, it's all she knew. That's where her parents are from. That's where her grandparents are from. That's where her aunties and uncles are from. Ruth is being challenged now to embrace a whole new world. So what must she embrace? She, well, she must embrace a brand new country. And again, if you've never, if you've never ever lived cross-culture, if you've never have to leave your country and go live in another country, you can never really fully appreciate those. Those of you who have done that, you understand what I'm saying. 
It's a completely different world, different customs, different way of living, different mannerisms. I remember, you've heard me share this before, going shopping, and you ask the shopkeeper, do you have, do you have, uh, do you have milk? And they'll go, And you say, well, why don't you talk to me? <laughs> and they say, I am. And what they're saying in this little, they're saying, no, no milk today. No apology, no sorry, no, no fr- nothing friendly. One of the things that I thought about Greece when we first moved there is that they're really some of the rudest people I ever met. And it's not that they're rude, but so often when they translate from their language into English, it sounds, it sounds rude. In their language, it's not rude, but in our language, it is. So, for instance, those, we, they would say in Greek, tithelis, which is quite polite. It's, there's nothing wrong with that. But you translate that, translate that directly into English, it's, what do you want? Very rude, isn't it? And everything about them seemed very rude. Now, remember this. <laughs> This is what Ruth is leaving behind. She's leaving behind what's familiar, what's comfortable, all the politeness and the manners of her own land. She's coming to a new land where it's altogether different. And again, it's even more difficult in that she's got to now learn a new language. And she's got to convert from her old god of Chemosh to the new god, Jehovah. And she's got to take on a brand new husband with all his idiosyncrasies. Women, do you know what I'm talking about? When you get married to a man with all his idiosyncrasies? For poor Ruth, this was her second time around. She married one, one Jewish guy, and now she's got to marry a new one. When Gloria and I got married, uh, she discovered that I was not like her dad. I wasn't like her dad at all. One of the things that uh, I can remember, one of the very first things when we were first married and she did, the, she did the laundry. And by the way, she didn't always do it. I did it lots of times. But when it came time to folding the clothes and putting them away, uh, and guys, maybe you'll appreciate this. When it came to my socks, the two blacks, they're, they're black socks, you put them together and, and you put them in the drawer. But most of us guys, we know that two black socks doesn't mean that they belong together. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Some black socks, just because they're black, they don't belong together. And not only that, but when she put them together, I like it just the ends folded in. But she would do the whole sock into, like into a ball. And I remember saying to her, dear, instead of doing the whole sock rolled into a ball, can you just do the ends, just, just the tops? Flip them like that, you know, like this part here. Just flip it over. Don't do the whole thing. Well, I really, really hurt her feelings. I really made her feel bad. Because she interpreted that as saying, I don't like the way you're washing the clothes, the way you're folding them. It's got to be done a brand new way. I wasn't saying that, just one little thing. Adopting and getting used to whole new idiosyncrasies of a brand new husband. And not just that, but now she's also adopting his family. And I can tell you, my family is nothing like Gloria's family, very different families. Her, both her grandparents on, on both sides were Christians, and, and, and the aunties and uncles on both sides were Christians. On, on my side, was one side was Christian, the other side was not. And that made a, a whole new set of issues that we had to deal with. 
Now, I'm telling you all this to say, or to, to underline, to underscore the importance of thinking through what it means for you to leave your old life behind and embrace the new life, the new life of the Redeemer, of Jesus Christ. It's utterly and completely different. And I'm going to say this to you. If you are not careful about being intentional about embracing that new life, here's what's going to happen. You're going to find yourself reverting to your old ways, doing things the way you used to do them. In other words, you're going to live a life that is not necessarily in harmony with the life of your Redeemer. And so here's what the, the Apostle Peter writes to the believers in 1 Peter 1, 18 to 19. And uh, he says this. Can we put that up? He says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So Peter's pointing out that that old life which he calls empty, was handed down to you from your ancestors, is, uh, it's, it's, it's a no-go anymore. What you need to do, Peter says, is you need to embrace the new life, the new life that was purchased to, for you by the very blood of Jesus Christ. That was the price that Jesus paid for your brand new life. So that you could enjoy the, the pleasures and the joy of the abundant life. So that you could enjoy the knowledge that someday when you die, you're going to go to be, be with the Lord in heaven. This is the new life that's ours through Jesus Christ. And it was purchased with none other than Christ's own blood. Not with silver or gold. You can't buy your way into this new life of Christ. It needs to be purchased for you by Jesus Christ's own blood. Now, here's the thing. When you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, folks, the very, very first thing that happens is that you begin to worship a brand new God, not your old gods. In Ruth's situation, it was Chemosh, the God that required human sacrifices. In our case, you know what it is? You know what your your God is before you became a Christian? It's yourself. Look in the mirror, folks. That's your God. Because you live for yourself. You serve yourself. You put yourself first. It's about about your pleasure. It's about getting what you want. It's about doing what you want. That's that's the old God, the God that you worshiped and served before you gave your heart to the Redeemer. Interesting, isn't it? And when you became a Christian, when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Redeemer, you got a brand new family. We call it the family of God. One of the very first things I tell somebody that becomes a Christian is I say, good to have you in the family, brother. And if it's a girl, sister, welcome. We're brother and sister now. We share a common father in heaven. And we, uh, we belong to one another. Ray, we're brothers. Different mothers, but the same father. This is why at our church we really emphasize some very important habits. The, habit, the second habit, which is you need to go to church on a regular basis, and habit number four, which is you need to go to a small group. Why? Because when you 
accepted Jesus Christ as your redeemer, you adopted his family. When I hear somebody say to me, man, I, I love Jesus, but I don't care much for his church, what you're saying is you don't really care for the church that Jesus Christ died for. Now, how do you think Jesus feels about that? I can tell you that if you don't accept the family of God, then you can't accept God. That might come as a shock. And I'm going to tell you this. If you want to grow spiritually, if you want to develop in your spiritual life, then you're going to have to learn what it means to adopt and to embrace this new life, which includes the family of God. Furthermore, you start to speak a brand new language. When you worship the old God, self, you spoke your own language. It was a language of selfishness and in some cases of cursing. But when you adopt the new language of the family of God, no more cursing. You start speaking words of love and of kindness. You start speaking positively about other people and about, uh, about life. No gossip. You speak lovingly. And people know that you have a new redeemer, that you have a new life because of the way that you talk, the new language that you have, that you've adopted. It's funny, when, when we tried to speak Greek in Greece, um, I remember myself, especially when I lived in Athens before coming home to, before coming home Mary and Glory and going back to Thessaloniki, is I would try to speak Greek. I was in the classes trying to speak Greek. Any kind of shop I would go into, I'd try to speak their language, and they would say, oh, my English is better than your Greek. <laughs> so they wouldn't, they wouldn't talk to me in Greek, and so they would just speak to me in, 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 in English. They wouldn't let me learn their new language. Well, here's the thing, folks. When you become a Christian, when you adopt the, this new family and adopt the Redeemer and his family, then you begin to speak a brand new language. The question is this, are you willing to do that? Are you willing to leave behind your old language? And that old language is full of negativity, it's full of cursing, it's full of gossip, it's, 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 it's biting, it's hurtful, it's sarcastic. You've heard me say oftentimes how much I hate sarcasm. Why? Because it belongs to your old self, the self that hasn't been redeemed. This new self, redeemed by the master, speaks a language of love, of positivity, of kindness, gentle words, not hurtful words. And you adopt brand new customs. Whereas before you were self-centered, you lived only for yourself and you cared only for yourself. Now you care about God first and you care about others and you care about yourself last. Boy, that goes against what our world teaches us. Love God and love others. You've heard me say it over and over again. Life is all about relationships. And here's the, here's the thing that is so amazing to me, folks, is that there are people who've been in church their whole life through and they still don't understand that. They still don't get it. They still don't understand that the most important thing in their life is not their job, not their ministry even. It's the relationships. And that's the number one thing. Brand new customs means a brand new approach to life. And folks, it gets even better. With this new redeemer of yours, the Lord Jesus Christ, comes brand new blessings. And in Ruth's 
In Naomi's case, it meant leaving their poverty behind, leaving their emptiness behind, leaving their loneliness behind. I mean, it's a good deal for them. Through Boaz, their redeemer, they have a brand new life. No longer living in poverty, no no longer living lonely, no longer living in shame. Yeah, they came back to Bethlehem feeling the shame of having been humbled by life's circumstances. No longer having to beg for food in the fields. Brand new life, full of blessing. Now this is going to seem strange, but I'm going to ask you the question. Are you willing to, are you willing to embrace that? Because God wants that for you. I was, uh, I was doing a little study on um, this self-defeating attitude and a self-destructive uh, habits. And it actually is a thing. Psychologists actually call it that. And they say that it's very common where people will actually do things to self-sabotage their lives. So just when things are going good, suddenly they will go back to, to their old life, their old way of doing things, and sabotage their success, sabotage their forward motion. Rather than embracing the blessing, embracing what God wants to do in their life, they go back to their old ways and they find themselves in trouble once again. Do you realize that when you become a Christian, God gives you a brand new purpose in life? And by the way, uh, it's not all about you. Dennis Weeb came to me the other day, I was, uh, I guess, two sermons back, and talking about the purpose that God gives us when we become Christians. And he said, one of the things that, that popped into my mind, Pastor Allen, as you were talking, is that I realized that so many of the people that I work with, they have no real purpose. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, they're making lots of money, but it's just for the sake of making money. And he says, and one thing I know is that there's no pleasure in that. The pleasure comes from having a purpose in life. So he says, when I make money, it's for the purpose of expanding and furthering that work in Burundi, that village of hope. Now, let the Spirit of God speak to your heart right now, because here's what I know about every one of us here today and we'll be talking about this more next Sunday, is that God has got a purpose for your life. God has got a major purpose for your life. And the question is this, are you prepared to do that thing which God has called you to do? See, your old way of life means that you're not doing anything for God. You're just living for yourself. We call it self-centeredness. But the new life that you adopt means that you start doing the thing that God wants you to do. You start fulfilling God's purpose in your life. And let me tell you this. It may not be what you think it is or what you think it should be, but here's what a Christian will do. Here's what a, a person who's redeemed and who's, who loves his redeemer will do. He will say, God, what is it that you'd have me to do? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to be? Are you prepared to embrace this new life? I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to mean some major changes in the way that you live your life. When you ask Jesus Christ into your life, he gives you a brand new life. Just as Boaz redeemed Ruth and Naomi, Jesus Christ redeems you and me. You have a new life, and you become a new person. But are you really prepared to embrace it? Are you really prepared 
to embrace that new life that's supposed to be yours in Christ because here's what I know. I know that this is something that most Christians, I would say probably all Christians struggle with. It's something, it, it's, it, it's, a, it's a major problem in North America right now. I was just reading about the church in China right now. Do you know that it's the largest China has got to, it's, it's the, China is the largest Christian nation in the world today, even though it is communist and it's anti-Christian. They've got the most Christians in the world. What's going on there, folks? I'll tell you what's happening. Because of the opposition to their faith, these people, when they make a decision to follow Jesus Christ, they know they're leaving behind their old way of life and they're embracing a new life. They know that they're making a decision. Either I'm going to follow my old life or I'm going to follow a new life. And when a person becomes a Christian there, they know that it means leaving behind the old way of life and becoming a brand new creation, a brand new creature, a brand new citizen, a citizen of heaven. Now, in Bible school, we took the course on missions. We learned about syncretism. And syncretism... Uh, let, me, let me just give you the definition of the word syncretize. It means the amalgamation or the attempted blend of different religions, cultures, or schools of thought. And so what would happen so often in, is that missionaries would go to other lands, and then rather than fighting the culture, what they would try to do is they try to blend the culture along with Christi, Christianity. And so you have some kind of a strange blend of Christian thought, Christian ideas, and non-Christian and pagan thoughts and ideas. In fact, this is really what happened with the Roman Empire back in 300, 300 or 400 AD, is they tried to impose Christianity, Christianity on, on the various countries by adopting the gods of those different countries. And what they simply did is they just switched out the god for a brand new saint. And they did that in Greece. The, the god of Greece was Athena, and they just switched her up for for a saint. We see this over and over again throughout history. But here's what happens, folks. When you try to adopt your culture and try to blend it with your Christianity, it fails every time. You meant, remember mentioning this, so maybe, uh, I think I mentioned it at the class on Wednesday night. Greece, that it's, it calls itself 96% Christian, is probably one of the most corrupt nations in the world. How is that, folks? Because what they've done is they have tried to amalgamate or tried to blend Christianity with their, with their culture. And what they get is a new kind of paganism. Now, I had this argument with my Greek friends when I was there. I said, I said to them, why is it that Christians are cheating on their taxes? And they said, well, that's just the way we do it in Greece. I said, but you're a Christian. As a Christian, you shouldn't be cheating on your taxes. And, they, and their argument was, well, what do you know? You're from Canada. We do things different here. This has nothing to do with my citizenship or where I'm from. I'm a Christian. And apparently, you are one too. Why are you cheating on your taxes? And they said, well, it's just the way we do things. Dr. Dr. Kisarkis, who was, the, he was the, the head doctor at the hospital that Jesse was born in, he was one of the few Christians that said, I refuse to lie. In fact, what they do there is they negotiate with the tax man. You, the tax man will come to your office or come to your home, and then you'll, he'll negotiate. And he'll say, well, I think you made $40,000 this year. And you'll say, well, I think I made thirty. 
Well, I think, well, how about, would you settle for 35? How about 32,000? Then we'll get taxed on that amount. And it's just whatever you want. Dr. Katsarkas refused to do that. He said, here's what I earned. And when it came time to pay his taxes, the, the country, the, the government did not believe him that that was what he really made. I watched my friend in Greece who's a, who's a, who was a missionary, he's not anymore. I watched him lose his wife, lose his ministry, lose his house, lose everything because he refused to adopt a whole new life that was his in Christ. Back, uh, back a year ago, there was a man who came to Winnipeg. His name is Richard Twist. He wrote a book called One Church, Many Tribes, and then another book called Rescuing Theology from the Cowboys. And he's a featured speaker at one of the ministries here in Winnipeg. And basically, he was talking about how uh, what they were trying to do is they were trying to mesh the ancient um, Aboriginal religion with Christianity. And so uh, I was shocked. I, I just couldn't believe it. First of all, I couldn't believe that I was at this luncheon with this ministry that's supposed to be Pentecostal. And it was, they're talking about, about using the medicine wheel and using sweat lodges and, and having grass smudges in the church service. All in the name of syncretism, of trying to join the two together. I got up and walked out because it's absolutely not in line with what we learn in Scripture, folks, about what it means to adopt a new life that's ours in Christ. I have this argument with up-and-coming pastors who believe that what they need to do is adopt this culture and then apply Christian principles to it. Some would call it postmodernism. It's why someone like Justin Bieber, the, I don't know if you saw the pictures of him in, in, his, in his car with his journal and taking notes from his Bible. Justin Bieber, who grew up in a Christian home, under the impression that somehow he can follow the Lord Jesus Christ and still embrace his old life. And I'm going to tell you today that it's absolutely impossible. You can't do that. Jesus is calling us to embrace a whole new life, a whole new way of living. To adopt a new God with a new family, with a new language, with new customs, with the new blessings. Here's what Paul tells us and tells the church in Philippi. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. Folks, here's what you and I need to understand. Ruth understood this. She got it, and she got it really well. And she experienced the blessings of somebody who understood that she needed to leave behind her, whole, her old life and adopt a new one. She understood that as she adopted the God of Naomi, and the, and the customs of Naomi, that her life would be radically changed. And you're going to find out the blessing that she experiences next week. But I'm going to say this to you today. Are you prepared to embrace fully this life in Christ? 
Are you prepared to fully leave behind the old way of life? Are you prepared? Because here's what I know. If you have not fully 100% embraced this new life that Jesus Christ has called you to, I can tell you right now, you're a, you're a miserable person because you're neither enjoying the world and you're not enjoying Christianity. You're not enjoying what God has called you to. Every one of us, at some point in our Christian life, is gonna to have to make a decision to either fully embrace Christ or not. Because you can't, you can't partly embrace Christ. It doesn't work. So here's what I know. Everybody who calls himself or herself a Christian, whether you're, you're Aboriginal or Greek or Filipino or Chinese or Korean, you and I are gonna be the same. Or our facial features may be a little different. Our skin color might be a little bit different. But other than that, we're exactly the same. And I found that when I went to Africa, we went to, the, went to Manila and traveled around the world to different places, different accents. I found that anybody who's fully committed and fully devoted to following Jesus Christ, we're the same. We may not be able to speak the same earthly language, but there's a language of love that we understand about one another. It was the strangest thing, being in Burundi and being with somebody. I mean, it, it, it had to be about an hour, somebody who just almost doesn't speak English at all, and yet we're able to carry on a conversation. How does that happen? Because we speak a language of heaven, a language of love. So here's my question for everybody today. Have you embraced the new life? Have you embraced the new life? the new life in Christ? Have you left behind the old life? Or are you still clinging to it? You still, you, 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 it's the pastor who got nine fingers on the new life and one finger on the old life. You're gonna have to let that one go. Let it go. It's gotta be 100%. And then you're gonna start to experience an outpouring of God's blessing in your life, answered prayers, your needs met, provision, all the things that you expected when you became a Christian. Let's stand together and pray.